ओम ज्ञान ज्ञानंजन शलाकाया I'm just going to speak for a few minutes. We have a very big subject which we can't cover it all in a few minutes, but I'll try to give some overview, and then uh, we'll have some questions and answers, and then some more chanting. So the topic is mantra meditation. for the modern age first of all we should consider what is meditation and what is the need for meditation our physical needs are food clothing shelter we may ask what is the need for meditation at all what is the need for any spiritual life whatsoever persons who are more developed in consciousness they can understand that simply maintaining the body that is not all in all we have needs more than our physical needs we could say well there are also intellectual needs man has a desire to know to study many different subjects and know but even beyond that we have spiritual needs because we are spiritual beings ultimately we are spiritual beings we can analyze this body according to modern science this body is composed of different chemicals but if we simply analyze the chemicals we won't find out who we are we can analyze the body as consisting of majority uh, water and then among the other chemicals there is uh, a lot of carbon and nitrogen but these chemicals do not constitute me the vedic the veda means knowledge this is the uh, ancient spiritual knowledge. ancient means it's eternal it has no beginning or end but from our vantage in history it appears to be ancient so vedic knowledge or the knowledge of the vedas which is superficially appears to be coming from india although actually knowledge is not indian or non-indian or hindu or non-hindu knowledge is independent of these material designations but this knowledge veda the vedic knowledge which is uh, recorded in what are called the vedic scriptures the essence of which is the bhagavad gita this teaches that very basic simple point that we are basically spiritual beings that our nature is spirit that before this body existed i existed and after it after the body ceases to exist i will continue to exist So meditation or any spiritual process is the quest to come in contact with our original intrinsic being. At the moment we are progressing in what is called maya or illusion. We are fully convinced that I am this body and we have so many designations that this is my name whatever it may be. John O'Leary or whatever it may be Sean O'Leary and this is my house this is my wife these are my relations like this so we classify ourselves according to the designations which are put on this body but that is not the real me i am an eternal spiritual being everything extrinsic in this material world 
teaches us that we are culturally conditioned to think that we are these bodies, and especially in the modern age, there's a, the whole cultural propaganda is such that if we simply get more and more uh, things toward enjoying our senses, more and more nice food, nice house, nice clothing, nice cars, all these things, that this will be the source of our happiness. So this is an illusion because these things don't bring happiness. Uh, we see even the richest people in the world or even the most highly learned people in the world, that in itself doesn't bring happiness because it doesn't bring us into contact with our intrinsic nature, which is ultimately spiritual. So meditation means that process to find out what is our actual situation, to come in contact with our actual intrinsic spiritual situation. And as we've generally understood, meditation means to sit very quietly, to calm the senses, to calm the mind, to regulate the breathing process. So these are all different uh, parts of the dhyana yoga system. Dhyana literally means meditation, and yoga means that which links us. So this linking, yoga means a linking process to link us with supreme or ultimate reality. So dhyana, that means meditation, and dhyana yoga is the system by performing, uh, of, by which performing one, by meditation, one can begin to merge his consciousness or uh, bring his consciousness in harmony with the ultimate spiritual consciousness. However, this process of meditation, in the Ved, which is recommended in the Vedic scriptures, is not recommended for this age. That process of meditation, if it's to be properly practiced, cannot be done by, simply by sitting for 20 minutes in the morning before you go to work. In the Vedic scriptures it describes that various sages, they used to perform meditation sometimes for 10,000 years or sometimes for 50,000 years, which may surprise us because we think people don't live that long. And certainly in the modern age people don't live that long. But according to the Vedic scriptures, pe people used to live that long. And even now there are yogis who can by controlling their life as live many hundreds of years, even if not, if not thousands of years. And I've personally seen many yogis who, by the length of their hair, you can understand it goes maybe 10 meters back behind their legs. It takes a long time to grow such long hair. So it may take some hundreds of years to grow that. Of course, the success of life is not simply to live for many hundreds of years, but it shows that by the yogic process, one can control the life hairs and live for many years. So previously, sages, they used to meditate uh, very with very stringent austerities, which we can't even imagine in the modern age. I mean, if we don't have hot and cold water, that's too much for us. If we don't have electricity, that we can't imagine practically living without that. But say, even today, there are some sages who live in the caves in the Himalayas, and they meditate like this, with, with eating practically nothing, sometimes living on breath alone. So, one can, these, this ancient system of meditation, if one is to properly perform it, it requires tremendous fixity of mind, and it requires a long time to do, and it requires much austerity. So, practically speaking, the processes of meditation which are taught, popular meditation which are taught in the modern age, that you, you meditate for 20 minutes in the morning, 
and then you go off, you drink a cup of coffee and you go off to work. Practically, this is simply cheating. It may bring some little calmness to the mind, but it's not the actual meditation system which is taught in the Vedic scriptures. The actual meditation system is not, it's also not meant simply for calming the mind so that we can face the battle of life in a better frame of mind. It's actually meant for withdrawing completely from life as we know it and fully dedicating oneself to spiritual upliftment. So that process, it's not practical for people in the modern age to follow that properly and simply to do some truncated kind of version of that uh, that may help us to calm our nerves, but it's not actually meditation in the pristine sense of the term. So, what to do? The modern age, this is described in the Vedic literature as Kali Yuga. This is an age of quarrel, hypocrisy, disturbance, and one of the main symptoms of Kali Yuga is that people's minds are very disturbed. Even if we were to go away to... Actually, in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna teaches that the first thing one should do if one is to perform this dhyana yoga or meditational yoga, shucho deshe pratishtapya, one should go to a purified, holy place, a very peaceful place. But where is that place? And the whole world is contaminated by grossly sinful activities such as animal slaughter, intoxication, illicit sex, greed, lust and anger permeate the whole atmosphere so much and our own minds are so disturbed that first of all it's very difficult to find a suitable place to perform such meditation and even if we were to go to a very quiet place most people, if you, if you put them in a very quiet place with no disturbance they'll, they don't like it actually maybe for one day or two days but they feel disturbed because they're used to their minds being agitated constantly by city life, that they feel disturbed not to have their mind disturbed. This is the situation of the modern age. So, therefore, in the Vedic scriptures, these uh, Vedic scriptures were compiled by Vedvyas, an incarnation of Vishnu, the Supreme Lord, and he is uh, Trikalagya, means he can see... He can see past, present and future. So he described that this meditational system which could be perfected in the Satya Yuga or in the age of truth is not practicable for the modern age. Kriteya Dhyayato Vishnu. This in the Krita Yuga which was long ago. People, they could perform this meditational system. But in the present age of Kali in which people's minds tend to be extremely disturbed the same result that one can attain by performing this very difficult meditational system can be very easily attained by this system of mantra meditation. Meditation takes place on the platform of consciousness, that we are trying to bring our consciousness in harmony with the Supreme Consciousness. Now, if our consciousness is so much disturbed that we can't sit quietly and meditate for days on end, which I think if any of us are to be honest, we can't do. We'll be, even if we can still our mind, then we'll feel hungry and there are so many disturbances to the mind. So, in this age, uh, it is recommended that one take the help of a mantra, which 
mantra is a not any sound, but a particular spiritual sounds which are recommended in the Vedic literatures. They have this specific effect on the consciousness. Mantra, as I was describing, this is derived from the Sanskrit. Mana means mind. Trat means triate, that which delivers. So mantras, they are ultimately meant for delivering the mind. Although there are many mantras which can be utilized for many different purposes. There are certain mantras which can be utilized even for gaining money. There are mantras which can be utilized as weapons. There are mantras can be utilized for many, for driving away ghosts and so many different things, for transporting oneself from one place to another without having cheaper than air Ryan, Ryanair, whatever it's called. You can do it free if you know how to do it as a yogi. But this is not the actual purpose of mantras. The actual purpose of mantras are to deliver us not only on a trip from Ireland to London or wherever else Ryanair flies, but out of this material world to the spiritual world. Because we are ultimately spiritual living beings, we are not satisfied even if we get the cheapest airfares to Mallorca or wherever it may be, because if we go to Mallorca or wherever it may be, we may find that there's less clouds and rain than in Ireland, but basically it's the same miserable material world, except there it's a little bit more sunny, and in that sense, a little less miserable. But ultimately, this material world, why are the yogis meditating in the first place? Why are they meditating? Even in the ancient Satya Yoga, the yogis, they could have also just stayed in the cities and drunk Guinness or Heineken or whatever is going on, or taken ecstasy or whatever, or, or some simple life they could have led, uh, materialistic life. Why did the yogis go to the caves to meditate in the first place? Because they have understood that this material world stinks. It's completely useless. If we live in this material world, it means that we are subject to repeated birth and death. And however nice we may make our lives in between, uh, whatever else we may do, we may have a happy family life, which is getting pretty rare these days. Or we may be more ambitious and become a rocket, what are they, astronaut, and go off to the moon or whatever, if they really went to the moon. That's another question. Or uh, we can travel around the world, uh, go, what's that thing? They have bungee jumps or something. There are so many things we can do. We can, Then they have this... They go on water skiing. They, yeah, so many, so many different things they've invented for so-called enjoyment. And we may, we may, uh, in the modern world especially, they've discovered so many wonderful things for enjoyment. But uh, however enjoyable we may find it to be, and actually we don't find that people are really very happy. That people are mostly stressed out for all their so-called enjoyment. Everyone is suffering from stress and distress in various ways. But even if one thinks, well, I'm very happy, the fact is that we all have to die. So, ultimately this material world is miserable and we all know it and we're doing our bungee jumping and TV watching and, and pill dropping or whatever it may be or simply sleeping, extra, whatever we may be doing, absorbing our mind in scientific discoveries, whatever way we we try to avoid it, the fact is at the back of our minds, we're all distressed and we're all fearful because we know that death must come and we don't like it. Why is that? 
People say, well, death is natural. So what's wrong with that? So death is, actually death is not natural and that's why we don't like to die. Because as spiritual living beings, our intrinsic nature is to live forever. But not with this body. This body is temporary. This body must die. And when this body dies, according to our consciousness, we get another kind of body. That's why if someone is in doggish consciousness, if he's simply barking at others all the time, then he'll get the body of a dog. If someone is uh, killing lots of chickens, like Colonel Sanders, you can see his face on the Kentucky chicken advert. It looks something like a chicken, doesn't it? Well, that's because he has to take birth as a chicken many times, because he killed many chickens. You get what you do. It comes round again. So according to our consciousness, we get different kinds of bodies. But this is a suffering condition. Therefore, the yogis, or those who are in actually intelligent, intelligence not measured by MSc, PhD, or any other such artificial designation, but those who are actually intelligent, who want to go to the root, or the very nature of life, they understand that I am a spiritual living being. I am meant to be happy. I am meant to be eternal. I am not meant to die. And therefore, they engage in the spiritual practices which are meant to elevate our consciousness to the platform which is technically called Sat-Chit-Ananda. You may have heard these terms. Sat means that which is eternal. Chit means that which is full of knowledge. And Ananda means that which is full of bliss. As spiritual beings, our nature is Sat-Chit-Ananda. But the material situation is one of Asat, non-eternal. This body has to die. Achit, we may have some knowledge, we may have made a, an elaborate study into the mating habits of various species of grasshoppers or the various things that people study in the universities. We may be very advanced in various types of knowledge, but we don't really know who we are. You may say, who are you? I am a grasshopper scientist. I study grasshoppers. So I'm the world expert authority on why grasshoppers have six legs instead of eight. So, uh, we may have some kind of knowledge. Nowadays, we find people are full, people's heads are full of all kinds of useless knowledge. That who is the best footballer in the country is completely useless, actually, to understand. What, is, what value is it to know? Who's, who's the best at running or chasing? Uh, it's a kid's game to chase around after a little ball and kick it. So, who's the most expert in doing that? And we fill our heads. Or oh, what the politicians are doing what they're saying. We fill our heads. The, the modern age is full of so much useless information. And we have information technology. It's a whole science of how to shuttle useless information around all over the world and fills people's heads up with more and more useless information which is ultimately of no use to them whatsoever. Because at the time of death, if you can spout out just like a, uh, the... Uh, like some kind of website, you can spout out all kinds of useless information. It won't help you. You have to die despite that. So real knowledge it means to know who I am. I'm an eternal spiritual being. And when one is situated in one's actual eternal position of knowledge, then the result is ananda. Because we are, ananda means bliss. We are meant to be blissful by nature. That's why we, all our endeavors are geared towards getting happiness. We do every, everything we do is for happiness. 
if there's some discomfort, if we, just like if we're lying in bed and we find some comfort, we shift our position. Every single thing we do, we do for happiness. But despite that, we find no happiness. This material world is a place where we're constant, we are donkeys chasing after a carrot that we never catch. It always seems to be just in front of us, but we never quite catch it. But we're so stupid that we keep on chasing it. So a yogi means one who is intelligent enough to to understand that we're never going to get the carrot. That's not, and even if I do get it, it's not really going to satisfy me. Even if you do become the richest person in the world, even if you do win the Miss World contest, or even if you become the most famous footballer, or whatever your dreams may be, even if you marry the the spouse of your dreams, uh, ultimately we'll find that this material world, it is not a place of real happiness anyway. So to get real happiness, we have to come to the spiritual position, understanding our spiritual nature. That means becoming free from all the illusions or misconceptions which presently bind us up. This is why the yogis perform meditation, to fix our consciousness in spiritual reality. So the same thing can be performed in the modern age by the system of chanting mantras, not any mantras, not mantras for transporting our body from here to there, not mantras for getting money, not mantras for killing people, there are also mantras for that, but mantras for fixing us in our eternal spiritual position. Of course, along with the mantra, there are other subsidiary processes. Uh, We have to understand what we are aiming for, what is our spiritual position. This is all explained in the Bhagavad Gita and other literatures. It's a very great subject. Very basically we can summarize that uh, spiritual consciousness means to know that we are spiritual living beings and there is the supreme spiritual living being who is uh, known as Krishna. Krishna means the all-attractive supreme person generally known very vaguely in the English language as God, but that term has got so many misconceptions attached to it. Uh, Previously, people used to think that God was an... It's even painted by Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel in Rome, that God's sitting on a cloud up there somewhere, and he looks very old because he created the world. He must have got old by now, and he has a long beard. He didn't have time to shave. He's very busy managing the world, and he's looking down, and he's... Old men are often very angry, so he's punishing everyone. So this isn't a very uh, realistic understanding of God. If we think that God is very old, that means he's under the control of time. But God means he's the controller of everything, including time. He doesn't become old. So when we see pictures of Krishna, we don't find an old person. We find he is always eternally fresh and young because he is not under the control of time. Now, another common misconception about God is that God is some vague light that we all have to merge into or that we are God or everyone is God. But no, uh, another misconception is that God is, well, whatever you like to think God is. But that's that's a very foolish idea, actually. It's just like saying, well, what is a watch? The term watch refers to a very specific object. So in the same way, uh, God refers to a very specific entity and we may not know what that is and therefore we may ascribe various ideas to it but those who know who God is uh, they describe exactly what is his position of course he is unlimited 
Therefore, to describe him fully is not possible. But in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes himself, and in various other Vedic literatures, there are very clear descriptions of that supreme spiritual being who we all have an eternal relationship with, and for lack of that relationship, we are all suffering in this material world. So, Krishna means the supreme spiritual being, the all-attractive person, Ishvara Parama Krishna, Satyar Ananda Vigraha, Anadir Adir Govinda Sarva Karana. This is a summary of the magnificence of Krishna, that he is the supreme controller, he is Satyar Ananda, eternal, full of bliss and knowledge as we are, but we are very tiny living beings, and he is very uh, great. He is the origin of everything. There is no origin of him. His name, another name is Govinda, which he means he who gives pleasure to the cows and the senses. And he is the cause of all causes. It is a great subject matter to know Krishna. If we can spend our whole lives studying the mating habits of various species of grasshoppers, which is only one tiny subject in a, in a massive world, uh, even if you study, if we study uh, atomic physics and we study subatomic particles, we go deeper and deeper, we'll find, and then we find that there are, actually there are no particles, there are waves, so uh, waves of energy, so our scientists tell us. But the deeper, more and more microcosmically as we go, we'll find there's no limit. And as we go macrocosmically to study the, the uh, whole universe, there's, certainly there's no limit in, in space. So what to speak of he who is maintaining all this universe, not only this universe, but millions of universes. The subject of God is a vast subject. But the most wonderful thing about God or Krishna is that even though he is so vastly wonderful, he also is opening himself to us. And that is the very acme of spiritual understanding. It is not something vague. Real spiritual understanding means to focus our consciousness in service to Krishna. And this is what actually all the yogis ultimately attain. Ultimately the yogis, when they go through many, many stages of realization in meditation, which are very difficult to attain, just like I was saying, previously yogis, some of them used to meditate for 50,000 years or 60,000 years, and even for many lifetimes, they would meditate in one lifetime, and after many thousands of years of meditation, they would go to another body and then again meditate. And go th going through many, 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 many stages, they would ultimately realize Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the ultimate object of meditation. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So that uh, meditational process, which is very difficult, uh, ultimately it is meant to understand Krishna. Ultimately this Dhyana Yoga or the Yoga of Meditation is meant to bring us to Bhakti Yoga or the Yoga of Devotion. Yoga is a means to link with the Supreme. And Bhakti is the ultimate expression of that linking process. Bhakti means devotion, devotional service to Krishna. So that can be attained in this most miserable age in which people are not at all living like yogis. They are living like, there's another Sanskrit term, bhogi. Bhogi means one who is simply interested in enjoying his senses just like an animal. 
And we see in the modern age that uh, actually now we have the theory that man descended from monkeys, but practically speaking, in many ways the monkeys are more civilized than the human beings. At least they don't uh, maintain slaughterhouses and get drunk and beat people up on the streets and so many different things. So in this age in which human beings um, are mostly being trained to live at a level of not even human consciousness, but subhuman consciousness, there is a great dispensation for this age, that even though we're not at all like yogis, that by this chanting of the Maha Mantra, one's consciousness can be very quickly elevated, even beyond the stages that yogis previously would attain with very great difficulty over many, many years. Therefore, it is a very great possibility for all of us to take to this chanting, this mantra meditation. We, we say it's meditation, we say, why is it meditation? Because it serves, serves the same purpose as meditation, which is to elevate our consciousness and bring it in contact with the Supreme Consciousness, who is Krishna. So that's also meditation. And the point is that when we are chanting, we're supposed to be hearing and meditating upon that sound, which the very effect of this chanting, there are various effects, there are various levels. And the first level is Chito Darpana Marjana, that by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, the consciousness is purified. At the present time, our consciousness is contaminated by Kam, Krod, Lob, Moha, Nada, Matsarya. These are technical terms which mean lust greed, anger, envy, illusion, and madness. So we are all, our consciousness is covered by all these contaminating factors, which are very difficult to get rid of, actually, due to our material attachments. But by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, the first effect is that the consciousness is purified, and then we can begin to see who we are, what is our actual relationship, with all other living beings, and with Krishna. So, this may sound theoretical, but you can't tell unless you do it. You have to do it, then you can find out how it works. You can also see that uh, many people all over the world are taking to this chanting of Hare Krishna, and it has its effect. It's not only for Hindus or for non-Hindus. People from all different walks of life from all over the world are taken to this chanting of Hare Krishna. And we see that the practical effect of purification of consciousness is there. That uh, people who are formerly leading what, according to the Vedic literatures, uh, is considered a sinful life, have given up aspirations for the various kinds of gross material enjoyments, and their consciousness is now fully fixed on service to Krishna. So we recommend this to everybody. It's extremely simple. The beauty of this mantra meditation is that it is extremely simple. The technique is extremely simple. To gain perfection, that may take some time, but the technique is extremely simple. There's no difficulty in the process of controlling the breathing, or first of all, fixing the mind. Even if the mind in the beginning is quite agitated, all one has to do is to chant these names as given here. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. 
Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. So that can be done by singing, as we were doing just now, and will do again. And another method is by chanting on beads. These are prayer beads. These are made from sacred Tulsi wood. This Tulsi is very dear to Krishna, sacred wood. So our the members of this Krishna conscious movement, every morning we rise very early actually. One has to rise early in what is called the Brahma Mahurta hour. Brahma Mahurta, that means that each day, according to Vedic understanding, is divided into eight periods. So different periods, actually there are 16 Mahurtas in a day, and there are two Mahurtas in each period. So each time, each period has a specific potency. This is a little technical, but basically there are three qualities of material nature. Sattva, which means goodness, Raja, which means passion, and Tama, which means ignorance. So in the Brahma Mahurta, or the hours just before dawn, that is the time of day when Sattva Guna, or the quality of goodness, is prominent. That's why we'll find all in every religious tradition, people rise early to meditate or perform prayer. This is the best time of day for dovetailing our consciousness with the Supreme Consciousness. So we should rise very early. Uh, if you can do that, that's good. If you can't in the beginning, simply that one can take up this chanting. But, uh, our devotees, we rise early before engaging in daily activities to chant the names of Krishna on beads. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari. Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. So this repeated chanting we have uh, on one rosary, I guess you'd call it, something like that. We have 108 beads. And the Hari Krishna mantra is to be chanted on each bead. So that's 108. And we perform minimum of 16 times round a day. And traditionally, in, uh, Vaishnavas or votaries of Vishnu in India, they chant a minimum of 64 times round a day. So that takes, uh, well, depending on how fast you chant, at least five or six hours to do before performing other activities. So uh, in the modern age, people are very busy. It's very difficult to escape from this vortex of modern materialistic life. Everyone is sucked in. But we recommend that along with your a regular day-to-day -day life, you can take up this chanting. Everyone can chant at home or wherever you may be living. Uh, for some time, even just one round of beads, that will be very useful for helping us in the beginning to, to actually make genuine spiritual progress. Simply by this chanting. Simply by chanting repeatedly the Hare Krishna mantra one can make more progress than even by spending many thousands of years sitting in a cave. We can't sit in caves. For a start, there isn't a cave, practically. Even if you go, even if you find some cave, you'll find it's private property. Or you'll find that someone's sitting in there with a TV or something. So it's very difficult to find a cave to sit in. And even if we did find a cave, uh, we would find that our mind is so agitated we couldn't stay there. So this is a very practical process for people in the modern age. It's recommended in the Vedic scriptures by 
Vyasadev, who, as I said, is a Trikalagya, one who could see in the future, and he could see the past, and he could predict when he compiled the Vedic scriptures at the beginning, just before this Kali Yuga or age of quarrel began, that in this Kali Yuga, all the bad qualities would be there, that people would be, the quality of life would be such that people are fully absorbed in lust, greed, anger, envy, illusion. People are fully absorbed in ridiculous pursuits, just like I say people, they, their whole consciousness, instead of be, trying to elevate their consciousness, they're simply thinking about something completely ridiculous, like some football team. So, uh, Vyasadev, he saw this, and therefore he, gave, he recommended this process, that in this Kali Yuga, people by chanting the names of Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, they will get uh, more benefit. Kriteya dhyayato vishnum tritayo yajato makar dvapare parichariyaryam kalotat hari kirtanat. In the ancient Satya Yoga, people would meditate for many years. Then after that came the Treta Yoga, in which people would perform elaborate sacrifices. After that came the Dwarpa Yoga, in which people would perform very elaborate temple worship. These things are not possible to properly perform in this age. Therefore, Kalotat Hari Kirtanat. The same result one can get from these elaborate performances of meditation or ritualistic sacrifices or deity worship, one can get simply by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. That is the uh, wonderful dispensation for this age, which has been introduced by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the incarnation of Krishna for this age. We invite you to all take part in that. It's very simple. You will get unlimited benefit. So, of course, there's a very great philosophy behind this. Uh, We shouldn't accept anything very cheaply. That's another problem in Kali Yoga, that even if people are spiritually interested, they tend to, uh, without investigating very deeply, they tend to get cheated by all kinds of so-called swamis and gurus who teach them a a bunch of hocus-pocus in the name of spiritual life, which has no actual basis in the Vedic scriptures. So there's a lot of cheating going on in the name of spiritual life. And we recommend that you also try to study this process. We have many books just outside here. We have a book display. These are literatures uh, translated from the ancient Sanskrit texts. It's not something that someone got drunk and wrote something and dreamed it up yesterday. Uh, These are uh, authoritative literatures which uh, give guidance in a very practical an authorized manner. It's a process which has been handed down in a uh, disciplic succession of realized souls uh, since many thousands of years. So I invite you to please study this, use your intelligence, consider, and to take, after mature deliberation, take part in this chanting of Hare Krishna and see what effect that will have in your life. So Hare Krishna, I'll stop there. What time is this program supposed to finish? We have another one after this. Hmm? Quarter to eight. Okay, so we have time for a few questions, and then we'll have some chanting. Any questions? Comments? No questions. That means... 
either no one understood anything I said or everyone completely accepts everything I said. So if you didn't understand anything I said, then we can chant Hare Krishna and then you'll all be benefited by that. And if you fully accept what I said, then again we should just chant Hare Krishna because that's the conclusion of it all. So let's chant Hare Krishna. Unless anyone has any questions. Yeah, please. Is there any certain complete one round? No, but Srila uh, Prabhupada, he described about this. He said that actually if you take a long time, that means you're not concentrating properly. Sometimes we think if we take a long time, then I'm being very meditative. But Srila Prabhupada, he said that actually if one's concentrating, then he shouldn't take more than, I can't remember what he says, seven minutes like this. How long does it take you to chant one round? Seven to eight. Yeah, it's a little, that's okay. How many rounds are you chanting daily? Sixteen. Sixteen rounds. There's no need to try to hurry. But at the same time, generally when we become more practiced, then we'll become automatically, some speed will come. But the idea is not to rush it. That we'll, I have to finish 16 rounds. Okay, I've got to go to the office. No, we should. That's why we need to organize our lives in such a way that we have time for spiritual practices. That means we have to rest in time, rise early, chant like this. Mostly in modern life, everyone's so hectic. They have no time for spiritual practices. And, and even when they're not directly engaged in work, then their whole life centers around it. That we're rushing to work or we're doing some exercise so we can be fit to do our work. Just rushing some food so we can run. It's better we spend some. Organize our lives in such a way that we don't have to just be totally absorbed in work. Organize our lives so we have time for spiritual practices. Otherwise, what's the purpose of living? We're supposed to work. What's the idea? To get some money to support our living. But instead, our whole life just goes in working. And every, the work becomes the life. Then what's the meaning? And we don't have time for elevating for any processes for elevating our consciousness. And then what, what is the purpose? It's completely useless. We may think, well, I'm earning so much money. But what's the use? You're, you're earning money, then you, what do you do? You decorate, you have a beautiful apartment, you decorate it nicely, we don't have any time to stay there because you're out at work all the time. <laughs> it's, it's meaningless. We should make time, organize our lives in such a way that we have time for spiritual upliftment. No use to be simply work, 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 work. No point. Try to escape that. Mm, please. Uh, I've been to India this summer and I've been to like, Iskandar. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. Um, Which ones did you go to? Um, the one in New Delhi. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Did you go to Vrindavan? Did you go to Vrindavan? That's close to Delhi. That's the main center of Krishna worship. Next time, go there. Yeah, it was, it was it's only 90 kilometers from Delhi. Really? I, I, I like India and I like the, the spirituality matters. Mm. Um, I'm not Christian, I'm not like, Hindu or anything, mm. religious wise. But I was I'm not a Hindu either. I mean, Krishna. Right? <laughs> Hindu is another designation. We're devotees of Krishna. Yes. Krishna's not a Hindu. Krishna never said in Bhagavad Gita, I know, I'm I a Hindu. That. I know. <laughs> but I was wondering, like, um, uh, I understand the thing 
bodies need food, that's why you know we eat and mm. we need shelter and stuff like that. But spirituality-wise, mm. okay, I know that this world is so materialistic and stuff, and uh, I'm mm. tired of it and all of what's going on. But could you elaborate some little bit more about meditation? How would I know that I really need to be uh, spiritual? How would I know that I have this, this spiritual level? And how can I be How can we understand that we are spiritual living beings? Well, just consider, who are you? Who are you? Are you? Yes. You sure? Yes. How old are you? Don't mind me asking. I'm 24. You're 24. Okay. Where were you 25 years ago? 25 years ago? Yeah. I was born 24 years ago. Yeah. So where were you 25 years ago? 25 years ago? Yeah. This body wasn't existing. Yes. Okay, the body which you have now, 24 years old, what relationship has that got with the body when you are one year old? You'll find that all the chemicals have changed. There's not a single chemical in your body that now that was there when you were one year old. <coughs> do you know that? That's what the scientists tell us. What do you mean by chemicals? That all the... You know, we breathe, when we breathe in, we breathe out, there's a, the chemicals are changed... We eat food, and then all the time, the, the cells in our body, they're undergoing various processes by which the, the chemicals are changing. Okay. So actually the body you have now doesn't have a single chemical in it that was there when you were one year old. So actually you are not the body. You are not the chemicals. Okay, the you are the soul, yeah. The soul is that which gives life. Chemicals in themselves don't have life. This, again, this watch, the chemicals in this watch could become part of a living organism in course of time. If this was somehow, say this watch strap was burned, then it entered the soil, and eventually that could become part of the humus, and that could, part of those could go into a vegetable, and we could eat that, and it would become part of a body. But I am not the chemical. We, what gives life is the soul. Just like, is a common example, in every language of the world, when someone dies, they say, he has gone away, or she has gone away. In every language. I can, we can have people from different countries here. You're from, you're from the Czech Republic. So, how do you say, he has gone away? When someone dies, they say, he has gone away, right? How do you say that in Czech? Odeshav. In Hindi, Chalaga. Chalagaya. Well, maybe different uh, dialects. In Bengali, Chalagetche. We have, where are you from? Tamil Nadu? From Kerala. From Kerala. How do they say in Malayalam? Poi. Poi. Means gone away, right? In every language. I don't know Malayalam. I never studied it, but... You, we know in every language of the world we say he's gone away. So, who has gone away? If you say, oh, my father has died. He's right there. No, no, he's died. He's gone away. He's, he's lying right there. No, no, he's gone away. Why do you say he's gone away? The same body that you were caring for, you were kissing and hugging, you were talking with, and now gone away. And now what to do? Burn or bury. But why? It's the same body. It's the same chemicals. So, 
who or what went away. The soul has gone away. Actually, we know. That's why we say gone away. We are not the body. You were existing before this body came into existence. And you will continue to exist afterwards also. But because we think we are this body, therefore we uh, suffer so many disturbances in this material world. So that is the basic understanding. When we understand this body is temporary, we're just here for a very short time. Even if we live to be a hundred, it's a very short time in eternity. The goal of our life is to stop dying. We're not meant to die. We'd, we should come to this spiritual platform where we are no longer subject to repeated birth and death. You like to die? Would you like to die? No, but you're going to die. Right. We, actually, we're all dying. If we've been here for one hour, we're one hour more dead than we were when we first came in here. It's a, living means dying. The body is progressing towards death. People don't like to talk about that. They say, oh, don't talk about that. But it's reality. Just like if you're in a cell, on the, all the prisoners who are to be executed, they may say, oh, don't talk about that. We're all going to get shot tomorrow. Well, whether you like to talk about it or not, we're all going to get shot. We're all going to die. So why not face up to it? Uh, that this is a very big problem. We're, we're concerned with so many problems, social problems, economic problems, ecological problems, and emotional problems, psychological problems. What about this problem? That's really a problem. We've all got to die. Whatever problems... If, if you go to a dying man, and it's, it's a, well, you know, there's this ecological problem, you know, what does it matter to him? We're going to die. You know, so it's, a, it's a much bigger problem. But we're all dying. So... Spiritual awareness means, first of all, to understand I'm not meant to die, and actually I don't die. Only the body does. I'm not the body. And when we understand that, then we can take up the practices which will stop us from being forced to die again and again. That is real spiritual life. Mm, please. Do you know what I was going to say? Yeah. Yeah, there are various kinds of déjà vu. It's an experience where you suddenly feel I've been here before. It, it may be, yeah, it may be because of uh, previous in previous lives we've been in a, this situation. Yeah, well, the very fact that there's a, there is a term déjà vu suggests that it happens often enough to enough people that such a term is required. So, yeah, well. We may have been here many times. <laughs> but the aim is not to uh, come again and again, but to stop coming again and again. To stop coming back. To go to that place, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, that we should go to that place upon going to which there is no return. That is the land of eternal bliss called Vaikuntha. It means the spiritual world where there is no anxiety, no suffering. This material world is simply full of anxiety. We should go to that place where there is no anxiety. Simply blissful life. No lust, anger, greed, none of these things. Do you think it's possible to live in a like, city environment away from the temple and still practice Bhakti Yoga? It is possible if we have the determination, but it's in 
Did everyone hear the question, is it possible to practice bhakti yoga living away from the temple and the temple environment? Yes, it is possible. It requires much determination, but it also requires that we should have contact with devotees, with with those who are practicing this. In in this process, we're talking about mantra meditation. There There are many differences to that form of meditation that the yogis perform, in which they generally live a completely solitary life. But actually in this mantra meditational system, the opposite is recommended, that we should not live solitarily, but we should live with devotees or those who are practicing. Because, Sangha Shakti Kalo Yoga, in this Kali Yoga, uh, we get, in previous ages, people got strength from being alone. But in this age, we get strength from associating with others who are following this process. So it's very important to do so. It is, it can be difficult. It's better if we try to arrange to get association with devotees. That will help us. And also, like I was saying, to arrange our lives in such a way that we have time to practice bhakti yoga because it, it requires some time also. It's not, uh, this Krishna consciousness is not a, is not a, five-minute uh, abracadabra kind of process in which you sit. You have to put some time into it also. Anything worthwhile, it requires a little time. So it's required that if we're actually going to make progress, we have to spend some time every day chanting the holy names of Krishna. That is required. So shall we chant some more? Have you join us in singing? Everyone like to join? Yeah. Okay, so please do. We have some books here describing more about the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. This is uh, Srimad Bhagavatam. This is a Treatise of Spiritual Knowledge, translated from Sanskrit by the founder Acharya of our movement, His Divine Grace, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and several other books by him. Life Comes from Life, which is an expose of the uh, nonsensical idea that man has descended from monkeys. This is uh, conversations between Srila Prabhupada and John Lennon and George Harrison about the the power of mantra meditation. These two personalities who propagated sound all over the world. So Srila Prabhupada was teaching them about the kind of sound that should be propagated to uplift people's consciousness. There's another book by Srila Prabhupada, Easy Journey to Other Planets. Just like I was saying, we're taking journeys here and there. Better go to the spiritual world. This is a very nice book, The Science of Self-Realization, which is an overview of the whole Krishna conscious process in relationship to uh, modern life. And uh, here's a book I compiled, A Beginner's Guide to Krishna Consciousness, which is exactly as it says, how to take up this uh, mantra meditation in your home life, very simple processes. And for those who are regularly chanting Hare Krishna, they may like to see some of my other books also, which are here. And for those who are from India, one of the books I've written, A Message to the Youth of India. So if you'd like to get these books, they're available outside. 
And shortly we're going to start another program, which will start with more of this chanting. So if you'd like to stay on for more chanting, you can. And then after that, I'll probably be speaking in Hindi. So those of you who understand Hindi can stay on. And those